Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back to the update, our season preview series. Today we're going to preview the NFC South a division with a lot of intrigue, a lot of good offenses, and some intriguing defensive talent. I got Justice with me here today. How are you doing, Justice? Super solid. Not hungover this time. So there we go. Yeah. Plus. Hungover on a Wednesday would be uh, we might have to have a little talk, but <laughs> we've both been there. So let's just dive right into it. Fourth place team. Uh, you know, after we were just talking about it before we start recording, I'm actually with you. I don't I don't buy this Tampa Bay team like whatsoever, really. Yeah. So I think a lot of there's a lot of hope in the NFC uh, NFC South. Um, when you look at Vegas odds, right, obviously the only three teams that are really competitive top to bottom, at least in the eyes of Vegas and fans that push those numbers, right, are the NFC South, AFC West, and NFC East. Um, I'm not sure I really see the Buccaneers as really a contender. I mean, I'm not necessarily – they're not good on offense, right? Like the, the only things that they were above average on offense were how often they ran the ball, which didn't coincide with how well they actually ran the ball. And then they were slightly above average in yards per completion. And all the other efficiency statistics, they were below average. Um, on defense, the only things that they were good at were interception percentage and sack percentage. So you could say that this is a team that you know tries to run the ball. When they throw the ball, they throw deep. And then they're good at they're good at splash plays on the defensive side of the ball, and they're absolutely you know below average to horrible at everything else. Like this, this team isn't there isn't a single unit in terms of if you're talking about pass defense, you know, uh, run, run offense, anything right that they're actually like top to bottom good at. And, uh, I I think like Brent Grimes had a good season last year, especially like towards the end, he was on fire to close the season, but. As a whole, that secondary was not good. And I, I think you need to see more from Vernon Hargreaves. And I, I, I still feel for Vernon Hargreaves because he had that stretch uh, where they had the Sunday game, uh, the overtime game that went like all the way down to the end versus the Raiders and Amari Cooper torched him. And then three days later, he had to come play Julio Jones and Julio torched him too. So I'm not willing to close the book on that yet. And I know you're proud to hit me with the short corner stuff, but... Four corners. Uh, yeah, I still believe. Four corners, but they're they're more ball skills than anything else. Honestly, um, yeah. you know, you would you would think of Tampa Bay as, you know, even though you know, you, I guess you always think of Tampa Bay as its own defense, right? Right. Um, but they're obviously not running the Tampa two or anything. But you would think of zone cornerbacks as cornerbacks who allow a high amount of completion percentage, right? But a low amount of yards per completion. This team was third in interception percentage, 17th in completion percentage, and 27th in yards per completion. So if you're thinking of this team as, you know, a zone team, uh, this team isn't even necessarily good at, you know, getting the tackle after the ball is thrown, you know, ahead of their eyes. They're good at getting after the ball, but they're not necessarily efficient at anything else in the secondary. So, um I don't really know what to think there. You know, obviously Chris Baker is there. You know, I think we're both pretty big fans of Chris Baker. I think we yeah. talked about it with Washington. We talked about it in season. Um, but I, I'm kind of 
I'm not really sure how him and Gerald McCoy fit at the same time because I don't think either of them are really guys that you want to play at one tech, right? So I guess you could have like a Carolina Panthers type of situation where you just flip who the nose and who the under tackle is going to be. Um, but like they, they doubled down on like William Golston, right? Yeah, that was weird. Golston got $27 and a half million dollars on a front loader contract. He's never had more than I think three sacks in a single season. Um, yeah, I guess there's guys there, but like you, you talk about William Golston, Robert Ayers, Noah Spence, uh, Devontae Lambert, even uh, what's his name, uh, Jaquiz Smith who's coming back from injury, if he's going to end up playing defensive end or linebacker. Um, those are all pass rushers who I think as a unit can probably be, you know, average-ish at getting after the quarterback. But if you're talking about, like, I have to scheme, I have to, you know, use a tight end or run or running back to chip this guy in, in uh, pass protection, I don't think any of those guys check that box at all. And no expense when we were doing the tackles plus thing, which is basically tracking tackles within three yards of the line of scrimmage, uh, what you would think of as, like, success rate, right? Um, Noah Spence was kind of uh, usually like your tackles near the line of scrimmage coincide with your sacks or your tackles for a loss. Noah Spence kind of had a fluky sack number relative to that. So, you know, maybe he takes that next step this this next year. Uh, he was kind of a he was a guy people had higher hopes for as an athlete and didn't do it at, you know, either the combine or his pro day, even though his pro day he was like running against the wind in the rain or something like that. Um, so I guess there's some hope there. But I, I'm not sure. I can't be sold really on anything on this team, to be honest. And I've I've been the person, you know, kind of in the front of the James Winston throws too many damn interceptions. You guys should be talking about this more wagon anyway. The weirdest thing to me with Tampa Bay's offense was their splits with uh, yards per carry, tackle for loss, and run percentage. They were 29th in yards per carry, 28th in tackle for loss percentage, and 9th in run percentage. Like, why the hell are you running the ball so much if you're just <laughs> awful at it? And they were 21st in uh, fumble percentage. So, yeah, what are you they, guys they, doing? They, they really wanted to run the ball. See, that that's the other thing. It's like, are you trying to take it out of Jameis Winston's hands? Like, uh, they were going to pay Ryan Fitzpatrick – or not Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's who's there now. Uh, Mike Glennon, like, $8 million a year to be his backup. Like, I, I don't know – I don't totally know what's going on in that situation. I feel like we're going to have a much better feel. I guess you could say this about everything. But, like, right now I have no idea – if the Buccaneers are actually trending upward or downward, right? And I think we're going to have a tangible feel for that, you know, at, at probably by like week eight. Yeah. Uh, and the, the problem last year with them on offense, besides Winston turning the ball over and the running backs fumbling a lot, was you know, they just couldn't block anyone. And who are, are the only person they're getting back is J.R. Sweezy, who didn't play it down for them last year. And it's not like, you know, he was blowing the doors off in Seattle. I thought he was a, a good run blocker, but he was pretty mis or outmatched as a, a pass blocker on the interior. So I don't really see uh, how that sack percentage is 16%. Maybe that stays steady, but I, I don't see how the yards per carry or tackle for loss drastically improves unless Charles Sims or Doug Martin gets his stuff together or uh, Jerry McNichols, the running back from Boise State they drafted this year, kind of takes off. So th this is a team that and that's getting crowned Jerry, that has a lot Jeremy of questions. McNichols, Jeremy McNichols was a guy that people talked about bouncing around in the backfield too much you know when things got bad you know tampa bay was 28th in tackle for loss percentage this past year and basically drafted nothing you know uh donovan smith is still going to be your left tackle um for for as much as we get on like these guys in terms of pass protection they were significantly worse in uh blocking first line defenders so I would like even with like they added Jeremy McNichols. It's like this is like the worst spot for Jeremy McNichols to be in. Like I feel like Jeremy McNichols has like a home run game, but uh, 
you know, you, you get him messed up in the backfield and that, that thing goes really poor really fast. It's kind of the same thing with Saquon Barkley, the kid out of Penn State who everyone likes right now, but that's for another day. All right, so let's move on to our third place team, the New Orleans Saints. And uh, I, I kind of like their draft, or at least the the first pick where they got Marshawn Lattimore at 11, who I think we both had as top five prospects. And then yeah. uh, I, I liked them getting Kamara in the third, even though they you know, just jammed Adrian Peterson there for some reason. So, like, my biggest question with the Saints is, how does this running back situation play itself out? Because I don't really get how Adrian Peterson fits in that offense at all. Yeah, I'm not sure, but they didn't run the ball at all last year. They were were, were above average, and uh, they were one of the best teams in terms of fumble percentage and tackle for loss percentage. They were above average in yards per carry, but they never ran the ball. So they're kind of in a weird spot. That was really the only issue that they had on offense other than yards per completion, but they threw to running backs often. They threw to tight ends often. Um, There's just a lot of mouths to feed in New Orleans, especially with like a lot of teams. Like John Kuhn is playing more snaps from New Orleans than just about any fullback in the NFL. Like that's a fact too. Um, So like Mark Ingram's obviously there. I don't know how like Adrian Peterson, like Alvin Kamara should be their third down back, right? So what the hell is Adrian Peterson going to do? Like, he's their backup starting running back? Like, how, how many touches does that actually get? Like, I, I don't know. That's more of, like, an insurance policy thing. Like, I'm not even totally sure Adrian Peterson is going to get, like, 100 carries this year. Yeah. I mean, th- th- I feel like there's just no room for him. Or at least his play style doesn't really make sense for what they try to do on offense. And I, I thought it was funny that he said he was going to get 500 receiving yards this year in – the only time he got close to that was 2009, which is eight seasons ago. His uh, third season in the league, he had 436 receiving yards. So uh, for him to get receiving targets ahead of Mark Ingram and ahead of Kamara would be spectacular. And I mean amazingly bad because that's just not his game. Uh, and it's just going to be weird to see how this defense or the offense plays out. Uh, now on defense... I think you know, oh boy that defensive line they got hose or not hose because <laughs> I don't want to say hose because you just never know what health is going to happen but Nick Fairley potentially having a career ending heart injury or heart issue is is going to kill them. Well, uh, they still like we knew like three years ago that they needed a pass rusher opposite of Cameron Jordan, and it's like three years later and their their answers right now are giving uh, Alex Okafor a two million dollar per year contract uh drafting trey hendrickson who wasn't even good enough to be at the senior bowl even after his shrine game invite right uh was drafted in the third round and al muhammad who i think hasn't played a football game in like 20 months or something like that uh he was drafted from the university of miami sixth round pick um that's basically their pass rushing unit unless you think that holy kikaha who was supposed to transition from outside linebacker to defensive end last season uh, comes back from injury after his like third major like needed surgery out for the year type of knee injury situation, um, and like even behind like Nick Fairley, uh, I think they're uh, the 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 guys on the interior who the most played last year were like uh, you could probably speak on these guys better than I can. I can't speak on them at all. Uh, Tyler Davidson, I remember him coming out of like Fresno State. He was like a seventh round pick or something like that. Yeah, he's okay. And, and then uh, David Onyemata. Yeah, like he they he he kind of plays like all across the line. He, I don't think he's that good either. So right now you're just kind of banking on Sheldon Rankins, who had four sacks as a rookie, which is impressive, especially coming off of that broken leg from the preseason. But he, his game was still inconsistent last year, and you could kind of see that losing that first training camp 
uh, did hurt him. But I, I just don't know where it's supposed to come from with Nick Fairley going. Like, you're putting a lot of pressure on Cameron Jordan and a second-year player who's only played nine games, I believe. So I, I, I was kind of confused as why they didn't grab somebody in the second round over Marcus Williams because uh, I know they let go of Jarris Bird, but they did spend that pick on Von Bell last year, but he played a little bit more corner and, you know, slot, stuff like that. I, I yeah, guess they, they, they play a lot of they yeah. let play a lot of three safety stuff. Like they play more safety. They they play more third safety than they do third cornerback for whatever reason. Like their most played cornerbacks that are returning this year are uh, people named Sterling Moore and Ken Crowley, apparently. Um Part of that is due to the fact that, you know, uh, Delvin Bro and uh, P.J. Williams were hurt last year. Uh, But still, like that that cornerback unit, that whole defense just is not looking good. Like if you're making a case for New Orleans making the playoffs, it's like their offense is revving up to a thousand and their defense is just holding on. I think uh, I think I wrote in the preview that like in terms of close games, like no one's played more close games than the New Orleans Saints have this past year, which is. In some ways, in the in the past two years, um, which in some ways is good, right? Like you're not out of a game, but at the same time, it's like you're not putting away anyone. So you know what ends up happening is you know you end up playing 50-50 games, right? Like that's our entire preview series has essentially been looking at close games as 50-50 coin tosses and using data to basically uh, prove it, right? Uh, so basically, like if you're saying this team is playing a bunch of close games. What you should be thinking is, okay, this team's probably hovering around 500, and that's how you get the New Orleans Saints getting three straight seven and nine seasons. Yeah, I, I just, I, like, what's the direction that they're trying to go now on defense? Because I, I, I do get that they're trying to run three safeties look, and even the Falcons are trying to do that too, and we'll talk about them later. But I feel like you, you got to fix the problems you have up front. And I know at the time of the draft, I don't think they knew about. Nick Fairley, or he hasn't been diagnosed. No, but they yet. knew they needed a pass rusher. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, but at eleven, I guess I would I would have taken Lattimore at eleven just because uh, he's that pass yeah, defense was awful. About that one. But Marcus I'm Williams gonna... felt like a bit of a luxury pick that they didn't that they couldn't really afford, especially with the lack of athleticism and talent on the defensive line, and then to just take Trey Hendrickson, who he did pass the force players filter, right? He did. He but, did. I didn't like. I didn't like him on film, but he he athletically is what you're look what we're looking for. Right. So I mean, even that's a guy who's who's raw, and they struck out on. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the other force player they picked like last year or the year before, uh, he was a small school guy. I don't know. It'll come to me later. Uh, but yeah, you have a lot of problems on the defensive line, and you're really just throwing. Von Bell, who's a second-year player, Marcus Williams, Lattimore, who are rookies out to the Wolves with a defensive line that won't really be able to pass rush. So I think that as high as I am on, on Lattimore and athletically, you got to love the potential that Marcus Williams has. That's just a lot of pressure on a young defensive back unit. Yeah, incredible. Um, like I said, I, I don't think there's that much to talk about. Um, I think, you know, even Ryan Ramschick, Right. Like, I think that was kind of a luxury pick at the time. Um, but obviously, you know, it's kind of turned out well for him, considering that Max Unger and, you know, Teron Armstead are both already hurt. So uh, I guess offensive line depth was something that I guess they needed. Uh, they, you know, we didn't see it at the time, but it was something that was going to come up the pike. I, I don't know, man. I think it's just kind of like Sean Payton and Drew Brees just go for power moves. This was the other thing. Uh, I can't remember what the number is, but I think it's like. Even if they don't re-sign Drew Brees, it's like $18 million or something. 
that they're, he's going to count $18 million against the cap next year, even if he doesn't re-sign with the team. And I believe he has a no tag and a no uh, trade clause in his contract. So, like, he gets to use $18 million as leverage with nothing against him at all. For, you know, and basically hold that over New Orleans's head for you know this upcoming season. Yeah, and the uh, the player I was thinking about was Davis Tull, who was cut, and I think he was on the Falcons practice oh, for yeah. a little bit last year. So you know that's two guys that athletically he was like, have. He was like a fifth round pick. He doesn't count, right? But no, draft, but I'm saying like fourth round draft ends in the fourth round. All right, yeah, I agree with you there. But it's just I, I think it's weird to see them not stress that edge position or even like another defensive tackle to pair with Rankins and Fairley. Uh, but let's move on to our second place team, the Carolina Panthers. And for me, I, I think that the Panthers, they just kind of got rocked with injuries, especially on the offensive line. I mean, there was a point last year where you had uh, Gino Gradkowski starting at center with Ryan Khalil out and you had Tri Turner playing right tackle in, you know, with Michael yeah. Lord in, in and out of the lineup, that's just never going to be, something that can be productive for you. And, you know, it, it, you know, I think Tri Turner is an excellent guard. He's one of the better guards in the NFL. He's going to be deserving of his huge contract when he gets it. But it was really awful to see uh, Khalil Mack just embarrass him on that game-ending play versus the Raiders last year when he got the sack on Cam. Uh, I, I, I think when you look back at their 2015 season, and obviously, I mean, beyond Cam just being a superhero and absurdly good, uh, that interior trio of uh Andrew Norwell at left guard Ryan Khalil at center and Tri Turner at right guard like they were a big force in the success of that running game along with Cam Newton and the, the ball fakes and stuff like that so I, I think if you can get that trio back and get them starting a vast majority of stats like you did in 2015 adding McCaffrey and adding Samuel should get some juice to that offense and when you look at the stats from the Panthers passing offense they were 32nd in a uh, completion percentage which makes sense as camp completed i think at 52.9 percent of his passes but they were second in yards per completion so i think when you look at guys like samuel and uh mccaffrey i think it seems like they want to scale back that passing attack a little bit and not leave cam out to dry so much uh but that's probably going to be uh tbd yeah and their issues in the run game last year like they were blocking everything up front they were committed to the running game they weren't turning the ball over uh it fell more on like the it fell more on the shoulders of the running backs just not executing right which makes sense as to why they wanted christian mccaffrey so bad um the one issue like the other thing about cam too was like he was obviously hurt at the end of the year like i i, I have a little graphic on uh setting the setting edge.com's uh panthers preview that basically shows like what he looked before and after that that shoulder injury and it's like his worst games were all you know basically after that shoulder injury um there's a very very large split between what he looked like before and after that injury um the the big issue that i have with if they're going to use that offense and like actually use curtis samuel and christian mccaffrey in those hybrid running back receiver looks like people are talking about right that is going to hurt their pass protection a lot because they're, they're a heavy protection team, which obviously, you know, if you're a deep passing team, you probably have to be a heavy protection team right. unless you have an offensive line like New Orleans Saints where you could just like, all right, we're athletes. We're just going to play one-on-one. Drew Brees is going to move around a little bit. Um, they're a heavy protection team, but running back, like having an extra tight end is totally different than having a running back in there to block. Uh, a tight end can block 
you know, basically two gaps, right? He could block inside or outside. Right. Unless he's a wing and then he could block across the formation, but like not a specific gap. A running back can pick up any gap side to side. So like if if they're going to use, you know, five man routes now, right? Instead of like there were t- there were times when they had two man routes. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um if they're going to run five man routes, that's going to put a tremendous amount of stress on their offensive tackles, who I'm not sure if any of them are good. Like, I don't know if Taylor Moon's going to start, right? Uh, but, you know, uh, Matt Khalil and then uh, Michael Ower. Like, I, Michael, I'm not sure either of us are sold on either of those guys. Is my, well, I'm, Matt Khalil's terrible. And is Michael Ower, is he going to play this season? After he I had think all concussions? He's, line, he's lining up at right tackle right now, is what I saw from, like, Roto World type-ish, like, blurb tweets. Man, that's that's kind of scary. I don't know. If you, you miss a whole season with a concussion, you might just want to call it quits. Yeah, I mean, that's what pe- people were writing, I think, after the draft, that he hadn't even, like, officially passed through, like, concussion protocol, and it had been, like, five months or something. I think, but, like, it had been longer other, than that, I think. The other option is playing Daryl Williams. Oh, my God. Like, if, they think, if they think Taylor Moan's going to end up being better at guard than tackle. Like that—that's what I'm saying—is like, okay, all all this stuff where you're like moving toward a, now a, you don't want to say dink and duck offense, but like a more, a more I can hit any part of the field type of offense, right? right? Uh, there there are consequences to that. Like you have to build your team that way, and it's not necessarily like a flip you can switch, uh, like, you know, in one off season. Yeah, they're gonna have a transition period, and. If you like, if anyone who's listening to this thinks that Daryl Williams can start at right tackle, go watch that Chiefs game and see what D Ford did to him. Who D Ford had a breakout season, but uh, I I don't I think we're both on the same page in thinking that he's not actually that good. Yeah. All right. So their defense, uh, they're another. I don't know why AFC NFC South teams do this. Uh, they double down on their pass rushers that aren't good. Like they they gave they gave Mario Addison thirty five and a half million dollars for three years, and he's he's about to be thirty years old, and he's never had more than six and a half sacks in a year. Yeah, uh, and he wasn't a starter; he was their third most played defensive end that year. That did not make any sense to me, and I I don't get what's the point of re-signing Julius Peppers. I mean, I I, I get it; it's cool for nostalgia, and you're trying to win back that fan base after they just kind of goofed Cam last year and, and just mismanaged the hell out of that offense. But how much do you think Julius Peppers can bring to this team in 2017? I think you get like four to six sacks, maybe. But like he, he was playing everywhere in Green Bay. Like Green Bay was kind of playing – like they, they would play him at like that four eye, I think. I don't know how you guys number shit. Inside like the inside, tackle? Inside sh- Inside shoulder of the tackles four to me. So, like, f- he was playing four tech sometimes, things like that. Um, you know, they drafted Deshaun Hall. Uh, Deshaun Hall was a guy who kind of broke out day one of the senior bowl before pads were on. Yeah. Uh, he had an inside move, and then people started sitting on that inside move, and he had nothing. So, um, I'm not sure I love those guys. Uh, their interior line, obviously, though, it's like it's night and day. I mean, Kwan Short, Sarlutalele, they have Vernon Butler coming up the pike, and Kyle Love is still playing, so. Yeah, I, I like their interior, and I thought Vernon Butler played well until he got he got stuck with a, a high ankle sprain. Uh, I think it was like midway through the season, and you know we we see guys struggle with those all the time. And uh, so, I mean, there's some Panthers fans who are upset with what they got from Vernon Butler, but 
Uh, a high ankle sprain is a lot more serious than it sounds, and it, it can take you he's a while a, to get He's back. a backup defensive tackle. Right. He's a backup defensive tackle playing behind two guys who are probably going to make 60-plus million dollars on their second contract. So, well, Kawan Shore, he already signed for, uh, I think, for, yeah. like five for 85, something like that. Yep, makes sense. Like, I, I don't know how much. That that sounds about, like, stars range, right? Like, 60? Yeah, probably. Like, 60 is probably, like, 60 for, like, four is probably what I would assume for a star just because he's a, he's a nose tackle but he's not like brandon williams or anything right he's he's what the panthers like to do where they interchange in between three and one on the fly all the time depending on the formation oh. so you don't really get stuck uh and yet that's the type of player that vernon butler and kyle love and kawan short are too so it where do you think that starla tulele would make sense to play in 2017 because obviously he's not going to come back to carolina wow okay teams that need nose tackle um Whew. I mean, if if Don Perry, if Don Terry Cincinnati, Post, oh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati doesn't spend any money, but right. Cincinnati would make sense. Yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, the stats that we have up on this little Google Doc. Chicago was 21st in yards per carry. Washington was 27th. Well, sh- Chicago, Chicago, uh, Chicago didn't have Goldman. Right? I, yeah, I just think we're at a place where you, I don't know if you can count on him anymore. He, he just, he's been in the league for two he, he got hurt his second year. He did first good his first year. I don't know. I don't know. I don't trust it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tampa Bay would make sense if uh, – well, no, If they, they want to spend, like, all the money on defensive line. Yeah. Like, if they just, like, literally want to lock that shit down. Oh, here we go. San Francisco 49ers. They could definitely throw the farm at him. They were 31st in yards per carry last year. And the only, like, true, true Earl defensive Mitchell? tackle – Yes, Earl Mitchell. That's the only one they have, so – Star would be a, a big upgrade there. It's, it's just going to be it's going to be interesting to see what they do next offseason to replace Star because he's he's obviously going to be gone. Now looking at their their secondary, uh, they were thirtieth in uh, completion percentage, ninth in interception percentage, fourteenth in yards per completion, third in sack percentage, and I think. You know, I, I don't know how about how you feel about it, but I'm not really tripping over being 30th in completion percentage if you're going to be 14th in yards per completion. They're kind of in a similar boat as Atlanta. And I, I thought that James Bradbury had a strong season. Daryl Worley's on the rise, and they just drafted Corn uh, Elder from Miami to kind of play that slot role and compete with Captain Munderland that they signed from the Vikings this year. So how do you feel about that young secondary? Yeah, I think they'll continue to get better. I think completion percentage... Like you said, I think that's pretty overrated, to be totally honest, because um, you're not taught completion percentage. Uh, Keen Fahey, he actually, I actually uh, linked the piece to this Panthers piece because he was talking. He used uh, Cam Newton as an example, um, but he basically was like, completion percentage is really dumb because we don't. It doesn't take account of the depth of a target, right? So, like, really, what we should be measuring is like yards per dropback type thing, right? Which is basically what uh, NEA is, right? The uh, what is it? I think it's either adjusted or air net yards per attempt. Wait, uh, which like wait, which one? What did you say? Any A. Uh, it's a, it's adjust, adjusted net yards per attempt. Adjusted net yards per attempt. So like like that, I think is probably the best measurement of like what you see as numbers and what you see on the field correlating and being like, okay, this is how we can power rank a passing offense basically. And like that has no calculation at all for completion percentage. Not one. It's all attempts, sacks, 
sack yardage, like passing yards, touchdowns, interceptions. Um, so I'm, I'm not too worried about that completion percentage. Uh, they're also a zone defense, right? So like this is what we're talking about, where they're above average in interception percentage and yards per completion, but they're below average completion percentage. Which is fine. Uh, that that's basically your, you know your typical zone defense. Like they they want to keep things in front of them. They want to tackle a guy after the quarterback gets to it. Hopefully they can confuse guys up front. Um, but their their secondary isn't necessarily made to suffocate a passing offense. Yeah, but I, I think you got to be pretty excited about James Bradbury, and he, he looks like he could be a, a dude moving on. So Panthers, I, I think I, I think that if they can keep that offensive line healthy, they can contend with Atlanta for the first spot. But let's move on they're to— They're for sure a frisky team. They're a frisky team. Like, yeah. I, I think they're, they're a tier ahead of New Orleans and Tampa. Like, New Orleans and Tampa are, like, teams that I think don't— Like, they, they probably won't finish— with the top 10 pick, right? But they'll finish, like, around 500. Like, I think Carolina's pushing that, like, they could probably win 10 games if they weren't in the NFC South. Yeah, I, I think so, too. This this is just kind of a tough division that has uh, four teams that can, or three teams, the Saints, Falcons, and the Panthers, that do have the potential to score the ball, and then the Bucks. I, I think... We're getting excited about the Bucks because they added, you know, O.J. Howard and Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin, but that's still I, I still need to see that before I can really uh, get excited about that. But let's move on to our first place team, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, who had a bit of a, a quiet offseason outside of signing Don Terry Poe and uh, trading up for Tack McKinley. They mainly took care of guys in house. Uh, they signed Ryan Schrader, Robert Alford to extensions during the season. They signed Desmond Trufant to a big extension after the season. So they didn't really have too much room to tinker around. But it, it it's just going to be interesting to see how they rebound from that Super Bowl collapse this year. Did you know that they uh, they lost the Super Bowl and that I was going to have a frame picture of Robert Alford? Uh, yeah, and all sorts of stuff went down. Yeah, uh, Atlanta's going to be really good. Uh, they're really good on offense. Um, I don't think – I think uh, when people talk about, like, this team falling off offensively, it's like, yeah, Tevin, Co- Tevin Coleman probably won't have as many touchdowns this year. Like, it's not like there's any structure, anything structurally uh, – what would you say? Like, stru- so, like it, it, there's nothing that will catch up to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be – Obviously, when you're just as good as they were last year, I mean, which was just historically good. So if you look at Matt Ryan's numbers, he had 7.1% touchdown percentage, which is just ridiculous. Uh, He was first in the NFL with 10.1 adjusted yards gained per attempt. Uh, First in the NFL with 9.03 adjusted net yards per attempt. He was first in the NFL in ESPN's quarterback rating rating with a 83.3 and first in the NFL and pass rating with a 117.1. So, I mean, just to expect that to happen again, I, I would say you're delusional. I wouldn't expect anyone to be able to do that again. But when you return Julio Jones, Taylor Gabriel, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, Austin Hooper, like that's just an explosive offense. And what uh, what I thought was interesting when I was just looking at some of Football Outsiders' stats for the Falcons' offense was the first one that uh, struck out to me was Taylor Gabriel being first in DVOA which means he was the most efficient receiver in the league. And second was Julio Jones. So, I mean, I, I don't, I, don't I, think I think in terms of volume, I think in terms of volume, Julio was, was like the top guy. I know, uh, yeah. so in terms I know no, no one had like close to as many receptions as him in terms of like guys who are in his range, who got 
you know yards per reception numbers like yeah. he, he the the amount the the yards per the yards per reception numbers that he was putting up at the volume of receptions that he has uh, was absolutely crazy last year yeah and when you look at so if you look at DVOA that's more of a measure of uh, efficiency but I, but defensive yards uh, against replacement that measures more like a total impact with with some volume uh, accounted for. So Julio Jones was first in the league by a wide margin. Taylor Gabriel was 24th, and Mohamed Sanu was 43rd. I, I think it's interesting to see that they gave Sanu all that money, and he's clearly the third best receiver on the team. But even then, he was an upgrade over what Roddy White's carcass was giving you the year before. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not too upset about that one. Now, what else was really interesting to me was I was looking at uh, you know, the numbers that you put together on the sheet for the Falcons uh, offense. And it was interesting to see them at 24th in both sack percentage and tackle for loss percentage. But when you listen to the national narrative and even just like the eye test, the, it looks like a good offensive line with Jake Matthews and Alex Mack and Ryan Schrader uh, all there for the foreseeable future. Andy Levitri, he he had his moments last year where he played well, but they were really kind of a boom or bust unit. So if you look at Football Outsiders' offensive line statistics, Atlanta was 23rd in adjusted sack percentage, 10th in adjusted yard adjusted line yards, third in open field yards, 23rd in stuff percentage, seventh in second level yards. So it was either very bust. right. So it, it like it was either they were going to go for 10 or they were going to lose three and. I'm not sure how much that changes this year with Chris Chester retiring and you're going to have Ben Garland who played snaps at defensive tackle for the most part last year and uh, Wes Schweitzer who was a six-round rookie last season that was inactive for every game. I I don't know how much that's going to change, but if you can still keep those peak plays that you were getting with uh, Matthews, Mack, and Schrader, I'm not sure it's something that you're too worried about. Yeah, you know how it would stop Julio Jones? How? I would I would go to my head coach, right? And I would say, who who is the last inactive player on the roster? And I would make him <laughs> active for the week. And I would have I, the first two plays of the game, I would have him punch Julio Jones with the face mask, and then I would have him scream obscenities at him. <laughs> and then you would have your uh, your top corner come back in and just jawed him the whole the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. Never go Andy Benoit, man. Oh, man. That that was just ridiculous. <laughs> So I, I think even with like the natural regression of coming off a historically good season, the Falcons offense should be, I mean, top three or four uh, regardless. Now, the defense is where it gets interesting because while they did get a lot of praise for, I guess, improvements throughout the season, especially in passer rating after the bye, uh, they went from, I think, 22nd or 23rd to 9th in a passer rating. Uh, it it was still a, a fairly bad defense, and I think you look at the injuries they suffered on the defensive line, with Adrian Claiborne and Derek Shelby, and uh, Courtney Upshaw being in and out of the lineup. I, I think the depth got depleted there pretty quickly, and uh, they they threw some money at Jack Crawford and the Don Terry Poe, and uh, they drafted Tack McKinley in the first round. So it seems like they're they noticed that they needed more bodies on the defensive line, and not just bodies like bodies that have the potential to make some sort of impact positive impact on Sundays uh so you know like Dan Quinn has always said fast and physical and these are guys that have a lot of speed uh I just think you need to see it put together and even Vic Beasley who led the league in sacks last year uh I don't remember exactly what the stat was on pro football focus but he led the league in uh 
pressures converted into sacks, but his overall pressure percentage wasn't that high. He was just ridiculously efficient at finishing pressures when he got there. So I, I think from Vic in his third year, you're probably not going to see 15 and a half sacks again, but hopefully you do see a more consistent pass rusher overall. Yeah, like certainly um, th- that was a question that came up a lot when I was grading guys because I don't think I had Vic. Vic might not have been a top 10 defensive end last year, even though he led the NFL in sacks. I can't remember where yeah, I grade. I would buy NFL that. Because he, he wasn't really getting – yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. Like he wasn't generating pressure as much as he was like converting every single like sack opportunity into a sack. And I was a guy who was – I think Vic Beasley – Vic Beasley was my number two player behind like Mariota or whatever. Who, who was in that draft class? I can't remember. It was like Jameis Leonard, uh, Lyle. Yeah, yeah. He, he was behind. Yeah, he was behind Mariota then because I remember he was my top non-quarterback. I think he might have been behind Winston too. Um, but yeah, I mean Dallas or uh, Atlanta's offense or defense. You look at them and they're basically below average at every single thing, like in the bottom quarter of the league, basically at every single statistic other than uh, yards per completion and run percentage, which. Run percentage defensively is more of what type of situation is your team in than what your intent is, right? Like, I right. think run percentage is super high on them. Uh, it, it wasn't because teams were scared of the passing game or exploiting exploiting their uh, run defense. I think I think it was more just like, all right, we're in this game with Atlanta. Like, we're going to have to run the ball. Um, so really, I mean, if you're going to talk about like seven a seven-prong efficiency – number right like they're below they're you know in the bottom quarter of the league at everything but yards per completion i know uh when i looked up Dion jones and when i did the tackles plus thing uh Dion jones because i had i had to do those numbers by hand before our friend uh kent uh kent potter i think that's how you no, say his name Platt. 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 that's what it is kent platt uh helped us with a little doc so we can go through box score super fast and find you know where w- the depth of the tackles that were being made um, I was doing things by hand, and I noticed that, like, Deion Jones, like, he was making a lot of tackles, but a lot of them were, like, six, seven, eight yards down the field. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the biggest thing that Deion Jones brought to the table as a rookie was he was really, really good in coverage. I mean, uh, yeah. you, I mean, honestly, he, he was one of the best coverage linebackers in the league last year. And, you know, when you have a guy that's, uh, I mean, they they have him listed at, like, 222, but... I, I don't buy that because when I was at the Falcons game last year, the Falcons-Saints game to close the season, uh, Keanu Neal is a lot bigger than Deion Jones. Like, physically looks a lot bigger. Like, my, my dad thought that uh, Deion Jones was a cornerback playing in the middle of the field. Like, that's that's how small he is. So, you, I don't think you're ever going to see him be uh, one of those top-tier run-stuffing middle linebackers. And, you know, that's fine if you can go get a guy like Don Terry Poe and you have uh, Rashid Hageman play like he did to close the season. I, I, I think that you can mitigate that to to a degree. Uh, but, you know, the value that he brings in the middle of the field and uh, the speed and playmaking ability. When you look at uh, the cover three defense, like you need those guys on the second level to really be able to run. And, uh, you know, when they had uh, Devondre Campbell at weak side, Keanu Neal and Deion Jones, like all those guys kind of play interchangeable roles in that defense. Uh, I think that was a big reason why the yards per completion was, uh, you know, 10th in the league. But at the same time, if you're going to have uh, defensive tackles, like, you know, Grady Jarrett was really their only viable option last year until Rashid Hayman came on uh, to close the season and through the playoffs run. And when you have those small linebackers and you don't have great defensive tackle play, that's where you're going to see the yards per carry be so poor. Yeah, I, I think we're in the same spot where it's like, 
obviously this defense needs to improve, but I think they're young and I think they have a they have a competent coach, you know, leading the way. Um, just pray pray for Tat pray for Tack, man. Like I'm I'm he's not a force player, but he's a little West Coast kid and he's he's very Oakland. Um, it's, it's hard not to root for that guy. Oh yeah, I mean I I I honestly was not on board with the pick, and then when he brought his grandmother well, out, Green I was, Bay wanted him. Really? I, I know that for a fact. Green Bay won attack. It seems like uh, Dallas did too, right? It seems what I was told was that he was the he was the tier setter, right? Like he was the tier setter. He was the guy that like if if a team was going to move to trade up for someone in that type of range, it would have been for Tack. Um, so that that that's why Green Bay saw Tack go off the board and was like, all right, open for business. Like we'll, we'll move down. I don't care. Like there, there's not that big of a difference between the next tier guys. It seems like Tack McKinley was the that last guy in that set. Yeah, to a so- lot of, at least. And, you know, I think Tack is going to have a bit of a hill to climb because he's still recovering from that labrum surgery. And uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be full go for the starter training camp, but, you know, he, he should get some snaps in the preseason. But, you know, it's, I, I think you're going to have a little bit more consistency than last year. And hopefully you get Desmond Trufant and Derek Shelby and Adrian Claiborne staying healthy for the whole season. But I, I think it's going to be similarly – I think it's going to look similar to last year where – it, overall, it wasn't great, but when you have guys like Deion Jones, Devondre Campbell, Keanu Neal, Tack McKinley, Vic Beasley, like all these guys, now they added Duke Rowley from LSU. All these guys are running four or five, so you're going to see, you're still going to see those splash plays, you know, the big plays they're able to create off turnovers when they get the balls in their hands. Uh, and I, I think that it's going to be a fun defense to watch again, even if they're not, you know, the most consistent unit. When you look at where where their front seven players are, Vic Beasley, third year player. Brady Jarrett, third-year player. Uh, Deion Jones, second year. Devondre Campbell, second year. Keanu Neal, second year. Uh, I mean, well, Keanu Neal's not really a front seven player, but he did play a lot of snaps at linebacker last year. And then you have Duke Riley, who's a rookie too. So it's, it's a young defense that's still going to go through some growing pains. But you have, I think you have to like the collection of talent that they have there. For sure. Um, I, I, okay, so would you say Atlanta's the favorite in the NFC? I guess that's where we have to start the conversation, right? Uh, man, I don't know. I, I just I, I just want to see I, I think I I do think they're in contention for, you know, the, one of those first round buy spots again. I just I, I haven't really thought about it enough to say they're this favorite, but I, I would I would take them over Dallas. Uh, I would I would probably take them over Green Bay again. So, yeah, I, I think they are the best team in the NFC. I, I don't think that, you know, they could beat the Patriots or the Steelers in the Super Bowl, though. Yeah, I, I think those two are going to be. So, wh- what do you think of? Oh, so, okay, how, how likely do you think their chances are of getting a one or two seed? Because I think I would have them above anyone in the NFC in terms of chances of getting into the two seed, right, or one seed. Um, I think I would have them higher than anyone in the West, other than Seattle, and I would have them like right there with Green Bay and Minnesota in the North. Because I think both of those teams are really good and have really, I think they have underrated defenses, honestly. Um, so I, I, I think like easily like one of the top four, like if you're talking about contender contenders, right? Like I, I think Atlanta's right there. I think in the, and then I think that probably makes them top six in the NFL. Because I can't, I can't really think of a team in the AFC that I think is going to contend for that one or two spot other than the Patriots and the Steelers. Yeah. So I mean, they should be in contention for a Super Bowl again. Whether they get there or not will be interesting to see. But, I mean, barring an injury to, 
Matt Ryan or Julio Jones, I, I think that they should be uh, the winners of the NFC South. Like the Panthers will be frisky, but I, I still think they're, especially in offense, a, a step ahead of the Panthers. So uh, that's going to wrap up our NFC South preview. We'll be back next week with the AFC South, NFC West, and then, uh, or not the AFC South, the, N- the AFC West, the NFC West, and then uh, we'll have a fun little project to uh, preview the NFL season after that. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back. We'll be back next week with Field Yates from ESPN. Five star reviews. Five stars only. <laughs>